Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has spread among the Jews to this day. Allow us to bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Your work upon the cross has given us hope. Your death, your burial, and ultimately your resurrection conquered sin. I pray that we can be a church that can represent that truth to our community. We can mimic what we see the apostles, the disciples of Christ, what they do in scripture. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do we have any conspiracy theorists in the building this morning? Do we? Come on. Any conspiracy theorists here in the building this AM? Now let's face it. Some conspiracies are believable, and some of them are darn right outlandish, aren't they? Some just really don't make sense any sense. We have a slide to throw up on the screen here that represents some of the outlandish ones and some of the ones that aren't so outlandish. So what I want you to do really quick for me is participate, please, and throw out an outlandish, actually, no, let's do this first. Throw out a few believable conspiracy theories. What's that? I have no idea what that is. Bigfoot's real. <laughs> Bigfoot's real. Any, anything else? What's a believable conspiracy theory? The Loch Ness Monster. What's an outlandish? What's a crazy conspiracy theory? Throw one of those out to me. Keep on going. 
Ah, there you go. There you go. I heard Pastor Jared say that the moon landing was faked. I've heard many people, especially on social media and all over the internet, say that the earth is flat. Another one that's crazy was Paul McCartney died in 1966 in a car accident. I don't know if you guys knew about that one. How about 9-11 is an inside job by our federal government? These are conspiracy theories. Whether we think they're believable or outlandish and completely unbelievable, it doesn't matter. We, we all can agree that conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists do exist, don't they? But do you know what some claim to be the biggest conspiracy of all time? The one that takes the cake. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some would say that's the biggest conspiracy of all time. And in fact, J. Warner Wallace has lectured and written on conspiracies himself. And he says this. He says, all conspiracies are motivated by three factors. Now check this out. They're motivated by either greed, power, or lust. Therefore, we must ask the question then. What was the motivating factor behind the disciples sharing the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Was it greed? Was it power? Or was it lust? The title for our sermon this morning is this. The purest motivation. The purest motivation. We're going to be in the book of Matthew and we're going to cover all of verse, or actually all of chapter, excuse me, 28 this morning. Verse 1 through 20. And this morning we're going to uncover what motivated the disciples to share about the resurrection of Jesus. We'll determine what their motives were and see what they're actually motivated by. Was it greed? Was it power? Or was it lust? Or were they motivated by the purest of intentions of all? This brings us to our text. Please follow along on the screen or unless you brought your Bible with you as I read from Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. As for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. When we look at these verses, all 20 of these verses in Matthew 28, quite simply, this is what we see. We understand that the resurrection of Jesus is a factual reality that literally happened under the account of eyewitnesses. The resurrection of Jesus is a factual reality that literally happened under the account of of eyewitnesses. So therefore, we want to ask this question. The question we're asking this morning is this, how do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is not a conspiracy? How do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is not a conspiracy? We know so because it's of no earthly benefit to the witness. It's of no earthly benefit to the witness. Does anyone in here know what the 19th Amendment constitutes? Anybody remember something that happened within the 19th Amendment? Any historians could help us out here? See, women voting. In 1919, the law was officially passed. didn't come into fruition until 2020, or actually 1920, excuse me, 2020 is next year. Some of you are like, you're always getting ahead of yourself. You're right. Always. (laughs) Women couldn't vote. Women have only been allowed to vote for the last 100 years. America's 243 years old. Do you know what that means? We've spent 43 more years not allowing women to vote than what we have allowed them to vote. So how do you think women were viewed 2,000 years ago in Roman Greco culture? If back in 1919 in our country they weren't allowed to vote, that's only 100 years ago. How do you think they were looked upon 2,000 years ago? What was their societal status during the time of Jesus? Surely they couldn't vote, could they? They couldn't even testify in court How about Jewish culture of that same period in time? Do you know that it took the testimony of two women to equal that of one of a man? So let's say we're to invent a conspiracy in that time period. If you were to do so, would you begin with two women as the first witnesses to the resurrection? Let's look at these verses again. I want to look at verse 1, verse 5, 6, 9, and 10. 
Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and Mary went to see the tomb. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Do you notice how the account of the resurrection starts off? It starts off with two women going to see the tomb. The same gender that wasn't allowed to vote in the United States of America until the year 1920. The same gender that was basically considered a second-rate citizen in the Greco-Roman Empire. In verse 5, it says, the angel says this, Do not be afraid. Why? Why is the angel telling the women not to be afraid? See, he simply reminding Mary and Mary Magdalene of what Jesus had already promised. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says this. Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. Now take a look at verse 6. See where it says, he is not here for he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Do you see what's happening? These two women, Mary and Mary Magdalene, are witnesses to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're physically able to see that Jesus defeated death. I don't know about you, but if I were to concoct a conspiracy myself, the last thing I would do would be to start off with two women witnesses, especially if I was still in Greco-Roman culture. However, if I were not to conspire, and I wanted to give an accurate account of what actually happened, then I would tell the truth. Why? Because I would have nothing to hide. Matthew's account of the resurrection is just that. The truth with nothing to hide. Mary and Mary Magdalene are then told to go tell the disciples of Jesus to meet him in Galilee. As they left to go do this, verse 9 tells us what? What does it say here in verse 9? It says, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So now these two women have not only physically eyewitnessed that Jesus has raised from the dead, but they have now physically touched the risen Jesus and worshipped him. Not only has those two things happened, but it's two women in this period in time. Again, Mary and Mary are told, do not be afraid. But this time they're told to not be afraid by Jesus himself. Why does Jesus echo that of what the angel had already said to Mary and Mary? See, remember Jesus 
in his earlier promise that was fulfilled, what he said in Mark, and now it's been fulfilled that he has raised from the dead. He foretold of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So let's look at verse 10. Who's he commanding Mary and Mary to go tell? He's commanding them to go tell his brothers. The same brothers or disciples or apostles that fled from him when he was taken by force. The brothers that fled from him when Jesus was at his most vulnerable. When the priest along with the crowd who had swords and clubs, his brothers fled. Church, this reveals that his relationship with his disciples remained the same. No matter what. The same is true for us. We cannot outflee the pursuit of Jesus. Amen? Even in his death, even in his burial, even in his resurrection, his disciples remained with him in an eternal, unbreakable relationship. Church, the same is true for us. Especially if we know that the resurrection of Jesus is a factual reality that literally happened under the account of eyewitnesses. Especially if we know that that's true. And it's the same reason why we're here this morning asking this follow-up question to this statement. How do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is not a conspiracy? It's of no earthly benefit to the witness. Advertising can be a bit outrageous. Can we not agree to that? Even back in 1979, what you're seeing here is a McDonald's ad from 1979. I don't know what burger that is, but that's a lot bigger than what you actually get. I don't even care if they say it's a quarter pounder. But look at this outlandish ad. What does it say? Nobody can do it like McDonald's can. Nobody can do it like McDonald's can. However, what if it said this? What if it said, nobody can do it like McDonald's can unless you believe Burger King proves otherwise? See, which statement would you say is probably more accurate? The one coming from McDonald's telling you that nobody can do it like them? Or the statement that I just made that modified it and said, you know what, McDonald's is pretty good, but you may think that this one's better. One of those statements has truth within it. And when we're honest and transparent... It shows that we have nothing to hide. Conspiracies always have something to hide. And we see that here in verses 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In verse 16, it's evident that the 11 remaining disciples went to Galilee. It's evident that Jesus intended his audience to be those 11 disciples. That is very obvious from the text this morning. It's evident, though, as well, that they were still obeying Jesus and what he commanded them to do. But what's not entirely evident from these verses is that more than just the 11 disciples showed up. How do we know that this is true? 
See, allow me to ask these two questions. Do people worship something they do not believe in? No. So look at the first part of verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, allow me to ask another question. Are people willing to die for a false cause? No. See, John was the only disciple out of the 11 that died a natural death. The rest were martyred for their faith. The rest were martyred because they shared the good news of salvation to hell-deserving sinners. They were martyred because they later shared how, what it says here in verse 17. They saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped what they believed in. When a conspiracy is rooted out, co-conspirators usually don't fall on the sword themselves, do they? Do you know another reason why we know this isn't a conspiracy? There's another reason from these verses that we can find out that this is not a conspiracy. See, the end of verse 17 says, but some doubted. There we go again. Complete honesty. The honest truth. Of the other followers besides the disciples, it's recorded that some doubted. See, this isn't like that McDonald's ad from 1979 where you just say, we're the best. There's nothing wrong with us. Nobody can do it like McDonald's can. This has nothing to do with that. So why would Matthew include this into his account of the resurrection? He had nothing to hide. So again, remind me, what exactly is Matthew doing in the entire chapter of 28? He's telling the truth. And this is why we have confidence when we say the resurrection of Jesus is a factual reality that literally happened under the account of eyewitnesses. It's why we're asking this question. How do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is not a conspiracy? It's of no earthly benefit to the witness. Here's a conspiracy that had an earthly benefit to the witness or the conspirators. Some of you remember this cast of characters, don't you? These men were part of a historical conspiracy right here in the United States of America. This is a picture of President Nixon's inner circle. See, prior to the 1972 election, President Nixon and his inner circle conspired to break into the Democratic National Committee's headquarters at the office hotel complex known as Watergate. Five men were arrested for burglarizing the Democratic National Committee. What did Nixon and his staff attempt to do after Watergate? They attempted to cover it up. Do you remember the smoking gun, though, that ultimately brought Nixon down? See, some years before that, Nixon had arranged for all of his conversations in the Oval Office to be recorded. See, he didn't want somebody there transcribing what he was actually saying because he didn't want that person to be in on the know of whatever it is he was dealing with. So he had it recorded. That ended up becoming Nixon's 
smoking gun because he had his own office bug, so therefore the conspiracy was on tape. Now, those of you that know the story know that not every tape made it back to be part of the evidence. There was quite a bit of time missing that would have incriminated Nixon. He was recorded talking conspiracy. He was recorded talking cover-up, and he even attempted in the end to just flat-out plead ignorance. I don't know what these men are doing. I don't know what my chief of staff was doing, so I'm going to fire them. What happened to Nixon? Those of you that know the end of the story, he resigned before he could be impeached, correct? This happened in the highest office in the land. The most powerful country in the world, this happened in the highest office. Where do you think Nixon and his inner staff learned these cover-up techniques? They learned them from a life-long laundry list of doing cover-up themselves, covering up their own sin. Can any of you relate to covering up your sinful behavior? I know that I can. We can all relate to this. It's the reason why the resurrection of Christ is so significant. Let's look at verses 13, 14, and 15. And said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. See, co-conspirators will rarely fall on their sword for false pretenses. However, they'd rather rally together to cover up their tracks. So who knew it was time to cover their tracks here? In this particular situation, the Jewish priests, when the guards went back to the Jewish priests to tell them exactly what had happened, the priests knew that they had to scramble to come up with a story. And I use the word scramble on purpose. Do you know why they were scrambling and how do we know that they were scrambling to come up with a story? See, it says... Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. I don't know about you, but claiming to be an eyewitness to something that happened while simultaneously sleeping isn't so believable now, is it? How do you think this went down with the Roman guards? Seriously, I mean, how do you think they went along with this story? They're, they're sitting there like, yeah, Officer Cassius and I were getting some shut-eye. I mean, we were completely asleep. When all of a sudden, his disciples came and took him away, I mean, there was absolutely nothing that we could do. Cassius and I were sleeping like two logs snoring like frogs. That's the best they could do? Two eyewitnesses who were fast asleep. Do you know why the Jewish priests had the guards concoct this story? Verse 14. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. If you don't think this is believable, you, you better think uh, again. How, how about President Nixon? The highest office in the most powerful country talking conspiracy. He attempted to cover up Watergate by claiming ignorance. 
It's about as good of a story as these high priests came up with. Church, mankind is still sinning and still covering up sin. The Jewish leaders were no different than our leaders. Again, do you know a thing or two about covering up your own sin? If you take an honest self-evaluation of yourself, you know that one of our first reactions to after having committed a sin is to want to therefore cover that sin up. Have you seen men with pens sending swords to war do the exact same thing? If so, do you know that the answer to all of these issues and problems is the resurrected Christ? He defeated sin, which sin leads to death, so therefore he conquered death through his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection which we know is true because we're saying this this morning as we look at this entire chapter. We know the resurrection of Jesus is a factual reality that literally happened under the account of eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses who confirm what happened and then eyewitnesses who are saying, no, it didn't happen. This is what really happened. We have both sides of the story. We're asking this question. How do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is not a conspiracy? We know it's not a conspiracy because it's of no earthly benefit to the witness. We're going to get to that part right now. The Spanish explorer Hernan Cortes disembarked with 500 men on Mexico's east coast. His goal was to conquer this new world for Spain. Who was stopping Cortez from doing that? A group of warriors called the Aztecs. So what do you think Cortez did? He had 500 men and he's up against the Aztecs. He told his men to burn the ships. See, Cortez knew that without the ships, the men couldn't turn back. He knew without the ships, they'd have to be 100% committed. Do you know what this is reminiscent of for us as Christians? Ship burning is reminiscent of discipleship for us. Jesus is calling us to burn our ships Jesus is calling you to burn your ship. He is asking us to be 100% committed. He is asking us to be disciples who make disciples. The factual truth of his resurrection leads us to doing just that. And this is why Villa's Grace is all about building relationships that make followers of Jesus. We could have ended this morning on verse 17. But we're going to do 18, 19, and 20. It's up on your screen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know how Jesus received all authority in heaven and on earth? Do you know how he actually received all authority? I mean, that's, that's huge. 
all authority here on heaven and on earth. He received all authority here on heaven and on earth because he endured all humility. Sure, you've been humiliated in your life, but not to the point that Jesus had. Listen, he completely understands where you're at. He completely relates to your struggle. Some of you got on a ship this morning and ended up here. Some of you got on a ship some time ago and ended up on the beach, stagnant. Some of you need to remember, I already burned the ship. We all need to know and remember, we cannot go back. His death, his burial, and his resurrection made the ship burning possible. That's why we find ourselves in new life in Christ. So here's an important question for you to be asking yourself. I don't care if you need to burn the ship, you have burned the ship, but haven't gone much further, or you burned that ship and now you're, you're moving forward. What is it in your life that you need to be burned on that ship? What is it in your life that maybe you've already burned on that ship? Whatever it is, it's all connected to sin. The same sin that defeated that was defeated on the cross. The same sin that leads to death. See, don't let Satan remind you of what's already been burned. You may have already burned that ship. You may already know you're not going back, but some of you are falling into the trap of the guilt that Satan puts on your life, reminding you of something that Jesus already died for. No sin is larger than the cross. No sin is larger than Jesus and his resurrection from the grave because that represents that he ultimately conquered sin so whether you're on the verge of burning your ship whether you've burned the ship or stagnant on the beach or maybe you've burned the ship and have been following Jesus into new territory the fact remains the same the account of his resurrection is told with the purest motivation the purest motivation why it's the reason why we answered the question this morning and the way in which we answered it. It's because of verse 19 where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, disciple equals follower of Jesus. The value in following Jesus is not found here on this earth. It's found in our future resurrection. It's of no earthly benefit for us to share the gospel, the good news of the resurrection and what that means for us in our life as hell-deserving sinners who cover their sin up. It's found in our life to come, a life we can have hope in because he was raised from the dead. Conspiracies benefit the now. Promises benefit the future and Jesus did just that he promised us a future along as we 
believe that God exhausted his wrath upon him on the cross for our sin, that he was buried and raised on the third day, just like he predicted in the gospel of Mark. He was crushed for our iniquities, buried and raised for the sin of the world. And this account in Matthew aids our faith better as we know this truth. The resurrection of Jesus is a factual reality that literally happened under the account of eyewitnesses. And especially as we answer this question, how do we know that the resurrection of Jesus is not a conspiracy? It's of no earthly benefit to the witness. No earthly benefit. The benefit of telling others about the resurrection of Christ has everything to do with our life to come. In fact, sharing the resurrection of Jesus might just make your life here on this earth a little bit more difficult. So, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, remember, keep in mind, Jesus has asked us to burn the ships. We are a new creation in him, in his resurrection. There is absolutely no going back. It's all about our life and our life to come because of what he did upon the cross. All about his resurrection, defeating death. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church. We want to be a body of believers who come together and encourage each other in you. Help us position ourselves to spur one another on according to your gospel message, your good news. Your death, burial, and resurrection has given us hope. A hope that we couldn't achieve on our own. And we are so grateful for what you have done. And we are so thankful that we want to pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.